So good to see everybody this morning. Isn't it good to be in the house? Worshiping, praising the Lord, yes? Amen, amen. If you're new to our church, my name is Greg Johnson. I serve here as lead pastor. If you're new to Mission Church Online, God bless you. It's good to have you with us as well. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and be seated and uh, grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Acts. And uh, we are in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And uh, continuing our series, we're going to be looking at a, at a man whose name is Stephen from chapters 6 and 7. That's right, I'm going to preach two chapters to you this morning. Acts chapter 6. Hallelujah. How many are blessed today? Yes? All right. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Full of faith and what? The Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So Stephen now is full of faith and power, and he's working signs and wonders. And wouldn't you know it, that some of the religious elite get upset at this, and they confront Stephen. Then when you go into chapter 7, after these Jewish leaders had arrested Stephen, they held a mock trial to convict him, and then after they give him a chance to speak, and he preaches this sermon, in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, here's what Stephen says to those religious leaders. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers, as your fathers did, so do you. <laughs> How do you really feel, Stephen? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. I guess so. And they gnashed at him. They grind their teeth. But he, verse 55, being full of what? The Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at Him with one accord. And they cast Him out of the city and stoned Him. 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He passed away. Today I want to talk about Stephen from a very different angle. I want to talk to you from the subject, God's measure of a successful life. Because for many of us, even some here today, our view of a successful life is having a good job, a prosperous career, owning a home or maybe two, raising a family, retiring comfortably, and then passing away peacefully, surrounded by family and friends who say wonderful things about you at your funeral. But Stephen turns this whole idea upside down. Because when we look at Stephen, at the end of his story, we see a very different version of what God considers to be a successful life. Stephen was not admired by the world. He didn't have a long, prosperous career. He had no wealth to speak of. We don't even know if he had a family. But what we do know is at the time of his death, Jesus is standing at his feet to receive him. And this is significant because every other time in Scripture when we see Jesus at the throne of God, He is always sitting at the right hand of the Father. But here, we see Jesus emerging from His throne, rising up and standing to honor Stephen as He receives Stephen into heaven. Now, Stephen may not have been a success according to the the principles of this world, or according to the people around him, but Stephen certainly was a success in heaven. And so that's what I want to look at today, and that's the question that I want to answer. It's what we can learn from Stephen. How does heaven measure a successful life? And what does it mean to be such a success in God's sight that upon one's arrival in heaven, he would stand to welcome us. How does God measure a successful life? Well, the first thing that Stephen shows us about this is that if you want to be a success in the eyes of God, you first have to be available to God. You have to be available to God and you have to show your value. So in Acts chapter 6, back to the beginning of the story, we see the church facing its first internal conflict. In verse 1, which we passed over before, it said this, As the number of the disciples was multiplying, as the church was growing and expanding, there arose a complaint because there were widows who were neglected in the daily distribution. So you remember that there was a time when all of the believers sold all of their, their goods and their lands, and they brought their proceeds, laid them at the hands, at the feet of the apostles, and said, distribute all of these evenly to whosoever has need. And the complaint was that certain widows, Greek-speaking widows, were being passed over. They were being neglected from this, this daily distribution, this, this benevolence. And to fix this, the apostles instructed the people to select from themselves seven wise, 
spirit-filled men who were competent in administration, who could oversee the distribution of the benevolence. And this is where we are introduced to Stephen. It says in verse 5, and they chose Stephen. And he is listed there as first among the seven. Now, Stephen's great quality was not his gifting. It was not his education. It was not his ability. His, his great quality was his availability. Let me say that again. Stephen's great quality was not his ability. It was his availability. There was a need. And someone said, hey, what about Stephen? He's a great guy. He could do it. And Stephen said, well, if that's where the need is, then that's where I'm going to serve. He didn't say, well, I don't know about serving tables. I don't know if that's really my, my thing. I have to, I'll have to pray about it. Let, let, me, let me think about it. Let me get back to you, right? No. Stephen was not that kind of a guy. Stephen was the guy who did what needed to be done. Stephen was the guy who took action and he brought solutions to problems. He was a solutions-oriented type of person. He was the kind of person that said, if there's a need, then let me jump in there. Let me get my, my hands dirty. Let me get my knees dirty. And let me fix the need. He was the kind of person that made himself valuable to any team, to any organization, to any church, and especially to the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God had a need. Now here's the thing. The key to bringing value, the key to being available is being willing to do whatever needs to be done. It's looking for a need and then filling that need. You see, God's problem is not finding people with ability. God's problem is finding people with availability. People who simply want to be used by God. And they have no conditions. They have no requirements. They just want to be used of God. There are plenty of people who have ability. That's not God's problem. You see, the thing is about people who have ability and gifts and talents. Unfortunately, they end up using all of their gifts and their talents and their abilities on themselves. And they have nothing left over to give to God. So the problem for God is not ability, it's availability. And availability often means being willing to do what no one else wants to do. Amen. Did you get that? Let, let me say that again, okay? Because it's easy to do stuff that we want to do and we like to do. Hello? The key to being available and being valuable is being willing to do what no one else wants to. The apostles didn't want to do the table ministry. You got that, right? They didn't want to serve the tables. Okay? But Stephen demonstrated his value because he stepped up and he did what, what others didn't want to do. And it's in the doing of the undesirable deed that we demonstrate our true value. Are you getting that? It's in doing the undesirable deed that we demonstrate our true value. Here's, here's something else. In being able to do what's undesirable, it requires something else that Stephen shows us. It requires humility. Everybody say humility. Okay? Not just be available, be humble. Because in the kingdom of God, 
The way down is the way up. Did you, did you get that? The way down is the way, if you, if you want to be used, if you want to be promoted, if you aspire to something that fits your gifting, the, 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 the way to get there is not to canvas for yourself. The way down to humble and to serve is the way up. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God, right? Look at Stephen. Stephen's gifting far exceeded serving tables. I mean, look at, look at this. He, he was a powerful preacher, which we're going to see in Acts chapter 7. He preaches this powerful message. He had a powerful anointing on his life where he would work signs and wonders. But they didn't ask him to do any of that, did they? They didn't ask him to be a preacher. They, didn't, they weren't looking for someone to work signs and wonders. They only asked him to serve tables, to hand out some denarii to deliver some groceries to care for some elderly widows that's all they asked for and notice that Stephen when he was asked to serve tables he didn't say well you know I you know I've got better giftings than just serving tables in fact I was kind of hoping for that apostle position you know it's kind of hoping that maybe there'd be an opening for an apostle you know that's more in line with with my gifting you know I can preach you know I can teach, you know. I can lay hands on the sick, you know. I can, I can prophesy and work miracles. I mean, this serving tables thing, you know, it's kind of, kind of beneath me. I think I'll wait. This is what he didn't say. I think I'll wait until something more in line with my preferences and my gifting comes along, right? And that's what too many people say today. Too many people say, well, I'll serve. I, yeah, I don't mind serving. I want to serve. I want to bless the church. I want to be there. But I'll serve when the right opportunity comes along. The opportunity that fits my preferences. The nursery? You want me in the nursery? Children's church? Really? You really? Don't you know I can preach? Don't you know I have abilities? Don't you know I have I got skills, man? The cafe? Really, Pastor Dylan? The cafe? You want me spreading butter on bagels and making coffee for people? That's what you want? Don't you know I can lay hands on the sick and they can get healed? Don't you know I have an anointing, a gifting on my life? No thanks. Check back to me. Check back with me when you need a Bible teacher. Check back with me when you need a deacon. Check back with me when you need something kind of more out in the front. Understand something. God doesn't need more gifted people. God needs more humble people. That's what the kingdom of God needs. People who don't need a spotlight to serve. People who don't need a particular position to be valued. What God needs is not more gifting because we've got plenty of gifted people who are just waiting for the right opportunity to demonstrate their gifting. What he needs are people who are not looking for a spotlight. People are not looking to demonstrate how great they are. He needs more Stevens who simply want to serve no matter how unglamorous it may be. Amen. Everybody say humility. But while you're being available and while you're being humble and you're being willing to do what no one else is willing to do, also, remember to be exceptional. Be exceptional. Stephen was a person of uncommon excellence. He was exceptional. He didn't have an attitude. 
He didn't complain. He didn't say, well, I'll, okay, you know, I'll be in the cafe, but I'm only going to do it here and here and here. Or, or, you know, or I'll be in the nursery, but, you know, you're lucky to get me, okay, so don't put too much demands on me. He didn't put conditions down, right? He was a person of uncommon excellence who went above and beyond the call to duty. Look at verse 8. It says it's Stephen. Here's Stephen. He's serving tables, taking care of widows, handing out, handing out benevolence. And it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Remember, his job description was to serve tables. But he did more than that. He did more than just pass out benevolence and deliver groceries. What he would do is while he was sitting at that table, when he saw someone come to the table for benevolence and he noticed that they were sick or they were ill, he would get up from his seat and he would walk around that table and he would take that person by the arm and pull them aside and say, look, before I let you go, let me pray for you. Let me minister to you. Let me speak into your life. Let me prophesy. And he would spend time with that person and he would minister to that person. And in the context of him going above and beyond the call of duty, God showed up. And God worked miracles. And God used him in a way that he never expected to be used. But he had to stay faithful to the place behind the table first. It was staying faithful to his place behind the table that facilitated everything else. But this was the, this was the attitude of Stephen. He said, look, I may be serving tables, but I'm going to be the, the most effective, most anointed, most impactful table server you have ever seen. My table serving is going to turn this city upside down. Hallelujah. Being exceptional means going above what is expected. Yes, you're, you're in your place at the table doing what you're called to do, but in that place, you're exceptional. You're beyond what's average. You're beyond what's good enough. You're beyond what's normal, right? It's about being diligent. It's about showing excellence. It's about improving your competencies and your work ethic. Yes, you can fulfill the job description. Yes, you can just do the baseline if you want. That's fine. But you could also go above and beyond the the call of duty and show that you have value beyond that job description. And it's when you show your value beyond the job description that other opportunities will come. I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the kingdom of God, right? When you're faithful in little, you become ruler over much, amen? It's a principle in the kingdom of God. And because Stephen had a mindset to go above and beyond, to exceed expectations, God used him in greater ways. It opened up other platforms to him. Even though he had not been raised up to preach That's exactly what he ended up doing. Even though he had not been called to be an apostle and to work signs and miracles, that's exactly what he ended up doing. He ended up functioning in the office of an apostle even though he hadn't been called to that. Hallelujah. When you are faithful in that place and you go beyond expectations, it will take you to places. Amen? Hallelujah. Think about David. You remember David, King David, before he was a king, when he was just a little shepherd boy. What do you think was the most significant moment in David's life? Now, most people will say, well, that's easy. That's when David confronted Goliath. But that's not true. The most significant moment in David's life happened before he met Goliath. 
It happened when he was a shepherd boy on the hillside, and his father came to him and said, David, I want you to take this cheese to your brothers on the battlefield. Now David could have said, Dad, are you kidding me right now? I mean, it's bad enough you got me locked over here on the hillside taking care of these smelly sheep while my brothers are promoted to become warriors on the front line, right? And I just, I'd get passed by. And by the way, Dad, I've been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but we're not going to mention that. It's bad enough all that. Now you want me to take cheese and carry cheese to my brothers on the battlefield and serve them cheese? The most significant moment in David's life was when he said yes to the cheese. Everybody say yes to the cheese. The most significant moment and opportunity was when David did not push back, did not get bitter, did not get an attitude, not feel entitled. But he said, you know what? It's an opportunity to serve. There's a need. Give me that cheese. If I'm going to carry the cheese, I'm going to be the best cheese carrier you have ever. I'm going to be the most anointed, most prophetic key cheese carrier. right? And so he carries the cheese to the, to the battlefield where his brothers are. And it's while he's there at the battlefield holding the cheese in his hands that he hears the arrogant voice of Goliath cursing God. Had he said no to the cheese, he, had ne- he would have never been on the battlefield and he would have never met Goliath and he would have never had the opportunity to distinguish himself as a powerful man of God. What's the lesson? If you will carry the cheese, the cheese will carry you to your destiny. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. If you're going to carry the cheese, if you're going to carry the cheese, if you're going to serve you got to do it with the right spirit, with the right attitude, which is something else we see here with Stephen. Number four, you've got to be graceful. A successful person in the eyes of God will face all of the hardship, all of the difficulty with grace, with a good attitude, with an excellent spirit. Let's look at verse 9, chapter 6. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. Now these were Jews who were, who were enslaved. They were in captivity in various aspects, areas of the Roman Empire. And they had been liberated by their captors, and so they migrated back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem. Now, because they lived in pagan cities, they, were, they had a very heightened awareness to false doctrine. And when they heard Stephen preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, they, got, they reacted to it. And so they started to become hostile, and it says that they disputed with Stephen. And, and, verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Verse 11, and they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. That's the Sanhedrin now. Now they take him in before the Sanhedrin. Verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Verse 15, and all 
who sat in the council. So Stephen is standing there in the middle of a circle of 70, 70 uh, priests and Sadducees and Pharisees, right? And they're accusing him and accusing him. And they all look at Stephen after all the accusations have been levied. And it says they looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. Isn't that amazing? How do we react when the garbage of this world is thrown at us? When the ugliness of the world comes our way? Do we react with anger and bitterness and hostility? Do we become combative or... Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak up. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take a stand. I'm not saying we shouldn't speak truth. But what I'm saying is that whenever we do it, we need to be graceful. Don't allow the ugliness of the world to be reflected in your countenance. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Oh, listen, we're living in a day where, where we've got to step up. We've got to speak up. Amen? Absolutely, the church needs to have a voice, but there's a way to have a voice, a way that speaks the truth, that speaks it in love and with grace and reflects who? Reflects Jesus Christ. They looked at Stephen, they accused him, slandered him, they ruined his reputation, but yet when they looked at him, they did not see the ugliness of their character reflected in his face. They saw the beauty of the Lord in him. Amen? His response, his attitude demonstrated a man who was at peace. He wasn't worried. He wasn't stressed. He wasn't anxious about people and what they were going to do to him. He did not let the ugliness of this world make him ugly. Church, don't get ugly. Come on, tell somebody, don't be ugly. <laughs> Listen, if you let it, the spirit of this world will steal your peace, will stress you out, will make you anger and make you bitter and will make you ugly. It'll make you ugly and you will lose your testimony and you will lose your credibility as a, as a child of God. Oh, you may win the argument. Oh, you may put people in their place. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. sure. We got some great arguers and debaters here in the mission church. I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, you could debate, but when the debate's all done, do they see your face as the face of an angel? Or do they see someone vindictive and angry and controlling and spiteful and rude? Amen? Listen, it's coming, church, where we as Christians are going to need to stand up in the marketplace. We're going to need to stand up in the world. We're going to have the cameras on us. We're going to stand up before the school boards. Stand up before, you know, the, the HR boards at work. You're going to be in those situations where you're going to be, the, the, the cameras are going to be on you. What are people going to see? Speak the truth, yes, but speak it with love. And be gracious. Everybody say, be gracious. be gracious. Amen, be gracious. And how do you get to that place of having a good attitude and an excellent spirit? Well, Stephen shows us that with these last two qualities, real quick. The next one is, Stephen was strong in the Word. Be strong in the Word and speak the Word boldly. 
When it came time for Stephen to finally speak, he spoke from what was in his heart. And what was in his heart? The Word of God. Amen? The Word of God. Whenever you're going to speak, listen, I'm not saying you got to get up and you're going to preach a three-point sermon full of Scriptures. But it's got to come from, it's got to come from an, a, a heart that is saturated in the Word of God. So that when you speak, you're speaking truth. Amen? The world may not even know it's a Scripture. You may not even give chapter and verse, but you're speaking truth from the heart of God. Amen? And here's the thing. You may not always have a Bible with you. Unless you're one of those people who like to carry those six-pound family Bibles. That's fine. But most of the time, you're not going to have a Bible in your pocket, which is why you need to have the Word written in your heart. You got to have the word. Listen, we are church. We are living in a day where we cannot be casual Christians. We cannot be lukewarm Christians. We cannot. The world will roll us over, will stomp on us, will chew us up and spit us out. We have got to be people who are on fire for God and who know the word of God. We need the word of God written in our hearts. What does that mean? That means you got to daily get in the word. Read it, study it, memorize it. Psalm 119, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've seen a lot of Christians get up and say things, you know, and they sounded good, but at the end of, the, at the end of what they said, it was not based in the word. So they had an ugly tone. All they were doing is they're just talking politics, they're just talking culture, they're just talking, and they're not talking word. And this world needs to know that the word of God is living, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This world needs to know. They don't just, listen, if you want to know my opinion on stuff, I'm not going to give you the Republican narrative. I'm not going to give you the Democrat narrative. I'm not going to be manipulated by some media narrative. If you want to hear what I think about an issue, I'm going to give you the Word of God. It's going to be based on the Word of God. That's what this world needs to see, that we are people who still believe in the Word of God. Amen? And not only do we need to have the Word hidden in our heart, we need to be people like Stephen. Lastly, Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask the worship team up here, please. The first thing mentioned about Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, is that he is a man of faith and the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you love to be known as a man, a woman of faith? What do you know about that, that sister, that lady? Of, I don't know, but she is a... I don't know her real closely, but I know she's a woman of faith and the Holy Spirit. There's, when I get around her, there's just something in her that just, that just pulls the Spirit of God out of me. Amen? One of the first things mentioned about Stephen, and it's one of the last things mentioned about Stephen, Acts 7, 55. It says, being full of the Holy Spirit... He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. He had been attacked. He had been maligned. The ugliness of the world was spewed on him. But Stephen still did not allow the world to deplete him of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. Isn't that powerful? To be able to go through all of the garbage of this world, but still be full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, being successful in God's eyes it's not measured by financial reserves. It's measured by spiritual reserves. What will you have at the end of your life? Will you have anything left? Or will you have allowed the world 
to just deplete you of every good thing God has given you. If you are going to remain full of the Holy Spirit, my friend, there's only one day, to, one way to do it. You've got to be filled daily with the Spirit of God. If you're relying on Sunday morning to give you all that you need of the presence of God and the fullness of God, you're not getting enough. Everybody say, not enough. Sunday morning is not enough. If you're watching live stream, listen, it's great that you're watching live stream, but you're, what you're watching is not enough. It's not enough. You've got to be daily filling up with the presence of God. Jude 1.20 says, Build yourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul said, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Meaning that we need to regularly, daily be filled with the Spirit. It's not once and it's not one and done. Every, come on, let's stand together. Every day, everybody say every day. I want to challenge you, Mission Church. Every day, get in the Word. Every day, get in the presence of God. Every day, seek the Lord for a new and fresh infilling. Why every day, Pastor? Why every day? I'll tell you why. Because we leak. We leak. You're not a perfect vessel. There are holes. Amen? There are holes in our character. I know I leak. Right? And I need to be in the presence of God every day, saying, Lord, fill me. Lord, saturate me. Lord, I need more of your word. I want to memorize it. I want to read it. I want to study it, Lord God. Hallelujah. This is a successful life before God. To be available. To be humble. To be exceptional. To be gracious. To know the word. And to be full of the spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Help us today, Father. Come on, lift up a hand to the Lord and say, yeah, that's me, God. I want more of you. I want more of you, God. I want to be available. Lord, I want to be humble. Lord, I want to be exceptional. Lord, I want to be gracious, God. Lord, God, I want to know more of your word, and I want to know more of your presence. I want the fullness of God in my life. Come on, lift up both hands to the Lord right now and just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, the fullness of God in my life, Lord. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. I'm longing for you, Lord, more and more and more of you, my God. Hallelujah. Now listen, church, we're going to close the service out because I know some of you got to get your kids. But we're going to open the altars for those who want to come forward. If you need prayer, you need a healing in your life, you need a miracle in your family, whatever the need may be, or maybe you just, you're hungry for more of God in your life and you want to spend some time seeking Him. We're going to close in prayer and then we're going to open the altars. So Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you, Lord. For your word that comes alive by the power of the spirit for those that need to go i pray they'll go with your blessing lord and that lord a hunger god there'll be a hunger in their heart for more of your word every day god and i pray god for those that are coming forward that lord you'll meet us here at this altar and you'll pour out your spirit in a powerful powerful way in jesus name amen